We're going to be in the book of 2 Samuel today, and I want to talk about, and this is the title, A Hairy Situation. A Hairy Situation. Has anybody here ever been in a hairy situation? Some of you are like, yeah, my hair is like three feet long. You know, it's like every day. I'm not talking about that. But, you know, I, I was uh, in a hairy situation earlier this week. I had committed to um, going on a trip with my son who's sitting in the front row right now, David, who's in fifth grade. And his class uh, was, was going to the mountains for like a science camping trip. And I was like, what did I get myself into? Like, I used to be a group leader for camps, and that was 20 years ago. I thought I had passed that stage of my life, but then I had kids, so apparently not. And, um, and, and so I go on this trip to the mountains, and it was horrible. They had us, like, hiking, like, four miles a day and uh, all this stuff. I am so sore, so sore. But, but on Monday night, I'm, like, thinking about this trip and everything that I got to get ready because... It's a busy season right now, and there's a lot going on. I'm like, how am I going to go disappear for four days when I got all of this stuff going on? And so I'm trying to figure it all out. And then Tuesday morning comes, and we have to be at the school at 8.15. I'm like, 8.15? I mean, that's fine. It's normal. School's early. But, but I'm like, I got to have all of this ready. So I wake up early on Tuesday morning. I still got to pack, and I know how to pack. I double-checked everything. I knew how to do it quick, but I still got to pack. And then my, my wife was wonderful because she had gone, and she had bought, like, all, all this stuff, you know, the bug spray and the sunscreen and a flashlight, like, all the things that, you know, you need and uh and so the flashlight is on that little piece of cardboard you know like it comes from the store on a cardboard and it's like attached by those little zip ties or whatever and and I'm like man I need to get this off and so I grab a knife because you know I never know where the scissors are in my house um and uh and and I grab a knife and I get one zip tie off and then I'm going for the second one and I'm being careful with my fingers except apparently I wasn't careful with my fingers and then sure enough it goes through and I stab my finger and I'm like this is a problem I gotta be at school in like 30 minutes and I've got a like a mortal flesh wound and it's bleeding like crazy and I'm going do I need to go to the doctor now like but if I go to the doctor I won't be there on time for the trip. This is a massive problem. I don't know if I need stitches. You know, it was a pretty deep, deep, like I didn't cut myself. I stabbed myself, okay? Legit. I won't show it to anybody. Don't worry. And uh, I was at that point officially in a hairy situation. It's like, what do I do? That's what a hairy situation is, right? You're like, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. At that point, I decided, forget the doctor, because I have another wound on the side of my arm that came a few years ago that was even deeper than this one. And a guy told me, don't go to the doctor. You'll be fine. And you know what? He was right, except for the scar I have. He was right. And so I was like, well, I'll suffer a scar if I need to. So I put a Band-Aid on that thing, and it's still hurting six days later, but I'm good, praise God. Um, it's getting better. It's almost there. But we're going to read about a hairy situation here in, in Scripture. And I, I'm not just saying this in a 
funny way, although sure, it's funny, but um, I'm actually saying it in a completely legitimate biblical way, and you will see what I am talking about. We're doing a story from 2 Samuel chapter 13 all the way to chapter 18 or 19. Um, verses we'll have on the screen, and um, it starts in a pretty bad situation uh, in chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, where Amnon wants to take advantage of his sister, Tamar. And I'm using that language on purpose for younger kids that we have in here, but the adults know what I'm talking about. And he wants to take advantage in a really horrific way. And so he plays a trick on her, and, uh, and, and she would have been, I, I believe, a half-sister, but, but plays a trick on her, gets her, acts like he's sick, brings her to his room, she cooks up some stuff, and then he takes advantage of her being there. And it says, but Amnon wouldn't listen to her because she was saying, no, don't do this. Don't do what you're about to do. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. And suddenly Amnon's love, it says, turned to hate, verse 15, if we could. And he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of her here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then, with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Now, let me stop right here and just tell you, so you have some context here, that what Amnon did was absolutely evil. And according to the Old Testament law, there were two things that he did that were absolutely wrong. One was that he had this relationship with his sister, right? Which uh, a marriage between a brother and sister in those days would have gotten you, according to the law, cast out of Israel. You would have been sent away. But for what he did to her, because it was forced, he would normally face death as a result, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22. And, um, and that would have been the end result for him. That was what this situation calls for. So she goes away and it says in verse 20, her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Now, I want you to know from the get-go that this message is not so much about Amnon and what he did, although what he did was evil and wrong, it's more about Absalom and David, and this is where the story is going to go. When David, when King David heard what had happened, I want everybody to read this last part. What does it say? He was what? Very angry. He was very angry. Well, yeah, sure. Okay, he was angry. But see, there's something really interesting. Some old manuscripts actually tell us that there's a second part to this verse after it says he was very angry. 
And this is really important to understand the story well, because it says, and he was very angry, and then this is added on. But he did not punish his son Amnon, because he loved him, for he was his firstborn. His son deserved death, but David protected him, because this son was his firstborn son. He was special to him. And because of David's decision to protect Amnon and to not allow him to suffer the consequences of his actions, David got everybody into, anybody remember, a hairy situation. And this is so important to understand, and if you're a parent in the room, understand this, that our job as parents is to allow our children to suffer the natural, suffer sounds bad, right? We make them suffer. (laughs) But to suffer the natural consequences of their mistakes. So often what parents want to do, because we love our kids, is we want to protect them from their mistakes. But let me be clear, the problem with Amnon started much earlier, much earlier. He didn't just get up one day and decide to do something as evil as he did on that day. It started much earlier, and he was already getting away with stuff. The same could be said uh, for, for Absalom and, and what's going to happen. See, David needed to deal with Amnon. David needed to allow Amnon to suffer the consequences of his decisions, but David would not do so. And because David would not do so because he wanted to protect his son, he caused an even greater problem and more difficulty for many people as a result. And this is how the story goes. Verse 22 says this, and though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Balhazor near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come to a feast. He went to the king and said, my sheep shares are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, no, my son. If we all came, we would be too much of a burden for you. Absalom pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well, then Absalom said, if you can't come, how about sending my brother who? Amnon with us. Why Amnon, the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend, including Amnon. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk. Then at my signal, do what? Kill him. Don't be afraid. I'm the one who is given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. And this is important, the wording here. They murdered Amnon. They didn't just kill him, they murdered. There's a difference between killing and murdering. And this is actually very clear in the Old Testament. The taking of innocent life compared to the taking of a life for the purpose of whether it be self-defense or something similar to that. And, um, and in this case, the problem here is that Amnon was supposed to be killed due to the law. But the problem is that Absalom 
had, the word says, we already read it, he had hate for two years. For Absalom, this was not justice. This was revenge. It was not justice. It was revenge. Justice would have been Amnon going before the law and suffering the consequences of his decision. Absalom was not doing justice. He was committing revenge. And those are two very different things. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. As they were on the way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed, what does it say right there? All the king's sons. Is that true? No. Don't believe every report that you hear. All right? Like, don't believe it. Not, not everything you hear is the truth. Not everything you hear from your kids is the truth. My teacher said I didn't have to do that homework and turn it in. She's just giving me an A automatically. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me send them an email, you know. Don't believe everything that you hear on the news and in the media is the truth. Don't believe that everything you hear is the truth. Reports come, but they are not all truthful or accurate. And so he hears this report. Absalom has killed all the king's sons. It says the king got up, verse 31, tore his robe and threw himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes in horror and sorrow. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother Shemaiah, arrived and said, No, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only who? Amnon, right? Because Absalom was not against everybody. He just had an issue with one guy, with Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. So this has been going on for two years. He has had this plan to do what he wanted to do. No, my Lord, he says, the king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. And so meanwhile, Absalom escaped. He escaped. I want to jump forward to verse 37, if we could. Verse 37. And in verse 37, it says this, David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Obviously, he lost a son. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. I want everybody to read verse 38 with me. Let's read it together. He stayed there in Geshur for how long? Three years. Absalom runs away. He stays in Geshur for three years. David has lost one son due to death. He's now lost another son who has run away to protect his life because he don't know what will happen to him because of what he did. And King David is still nowhere to be found. He cries. He gets mad. But he doesn't do much of anything. And because of this, David caused and continued to cause this hairy situation. When we get to chapter 14, the next chapter, verse 1, it says this, Joab, who is the king, uh, the king's uh, leader of the army, he was in charge of the army, says, realized how much the king longed to see Absalom. So the king longs to see Absalom, but he lets him hang out for three years in Geshur, all by himself. 
And so Joab makes this big plan and he does something and he asks this lady to help him out with it. And you can read the story. I'm not going to read it right now. And she goes in to try to convince the king to bring Absalom back. And so it works. It works. And in verse 21, it says this. So the king sent for Joab and told him, all right, go and bring back the young man Absalom. Joab bowed with his face to the ground in deep respect and said, At last I know that I've gained your approval, my lord the king, for you have granted me this request. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to where? Jerusalem. All right, so he's been away for three years. He comes back now to Jerusalem, and I want everybody to read verse 24 with me. Let's read it together. But the king gave this order. Absalom may go to his own house, but he must never come into my presence. So Absalom did not see the king. What? He, he wanted to see Absalom. He brings him back to Jerusalem, but he says, I don't want to see his face. Don't ever have him come in front of me. What is going on with David? David, who couldn't deal with Amnon, who did something absolutely horrific and evil, but now doesn't want to see this son of his who's been away for three years? Now, verses um, 25 and 26 are really interesting and are very important for this message. Let's read 25 together. It says, Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. I don't know how many Instagram filters you need to have to be flawless from head to foot, but he needed none. He was like, good. That's pretty amazing. Not, not only that, verse 26 tells us, and this is where I get the title from, and you'll see it. It gets developed in the story. He cut his hair only once a year. And then only because it was so heavy. When he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. How much hair do you have to have for it to be five pounds? And I, I believe, according to the way it's structured here, that's not the hair on his head. That's the hair he cut off his head that weighed five pounds. So the hair on his head, who knows, might have still been like 10 pounds or something. I mean, this is like Mr. Rapunzel. This guy, he's the most handsome guy and has got the most beautiful head of hair and weighs a ton. I, I don't know about you, especially the guys in the room. But, you know, sometimes when your hair gets really, really long, and by me, when I talk about really, really long, I'm not talking like it gets to shoulder length, like, you know, I'm just talking it's shaggy, you know. And, um, and, but, but when it gets, you know, that, that long, I'm like, oh, I need to cut it. And, and then you cut your hair, and then you go weigh yourself to see if you lost like four ounces or something. <laughs> You're laughing because you've done it. All right. But, man, th th this guy is gifted, right? He is handsome. He's got this long hair. He is extremely unique, right? That there's nobody like him in all of Israel, in all of Israel. And so he's hanging out, and people love him. And not only that, it says in verse 27, he had three sons and one daughter. 
His daughter's name was Tamar, and she was, what does it say right there? Very beautiful. He's like, we got the beautiful gene in our family. It just keeps on going, keeps on going, right? So, so he's handsome. His daughter is beautiful. He's like, we got it made. But then it says this. Absalom lived in Jerusalem for how long? Two years. But he never got to see the king. If you add them both together, it was five years. Three years outside and two years inside Jerusalem that he had not been able to see his father. Even though he wanted to. Even though he desired to. And so he tries to get Joab's attention, the commander of the army. And Joab's not paying attention to him. So what he does is he sets Joab's field on fire. I guess that works. And um, in verse 31, Joab came to Absalom at his house and demanded, why did your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom replied, because I wanted you to ask the king why he brought me back from Gesher if he didn't intend to see me. I might as well have stayed there. Let me see the king. If he find, Watch what he says. If he finds me guilty of anything, then let him Kill me. You, I, do you get what he's saying here? I, I want you to understand this. He is going, I would rather die and see my father one time than to live the rest of my life without seeing him. I don't care if he wants to kill me for what I did. I just want to see him. That's all I need. I've been waiting five years. Oh, man. If David would have let him see him many years before, the situation could have already ended. You know what? He had all the looks. He had the hair. He had the beautiful family. But all he wanted was dad. Fathers in the room, our kids need us. Our kids need us, not to protect them from their mistakes, no, but to be present, to be present. That's what Absalom needed. I just want to see my dad face to face, and that, that's all I want. I could die happy. He could kill me, and I'd still be happy because I got to see him. So Joab told the king what Absalom had said. Then at last David summoned Absalom, who came and bowed low before the king, and the king wanted to say right there, kissed him. Oh, finally, this is good. But the problem, and we're going to see this, is the damage had already been done. David had waited too long. He waited too long. He didn't resolve it five years earlier. He didn't resolve it two years earlier when Absalom came to Jerusalem. He waited too long. So right after they see each other, it says this in the next chapter, chapter 15. It says, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad. Too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. Too bad the king is like too busy. He's got too much going on. But hey, 
I'm here. He's actually doing something very interesting. Because now while David didn't mess up, Absalom is 100% responsible for himself and what he is doing here. He cannot blame David for his actions that he does. And right here what he's doing is he's leveraging his looks, his position as a king's son, and his ability to win people over through conversation to get them to go against the king. He is blaming the king in front of the people. Let me tell you something. You are going to find in this life that there is not a single perfect person. Anybody realize that yet? There is only one perfect person, and his name is Jesus. If you spend any time with me, you will really quickly find out that I am an imperfect human being. You're going to figure that out. And in fact, let me tell you, the closer you get to somebody, the more you realize their faults. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So the people that were closest with me in the church, the people that know me the closest, my wife, my kids, they know my faults. They see it on a regular basis. You know, it's easy to talk about the faults of other people. Let me tell you something. Be very careful. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, be very careful. Yeah, be very careful of what? Be very careful of those people that come to you seeking to establish relationship with you by talking bad about somebody else. Have the discernment to know that those people are not genuine. This is so important. Because a person who is a person of character does not need to win you over by talking about anybody else. They will win you over by just being themselves and who God has made them to be. Their integrity will speak for itself. And so the reality is people do this all the time. They talk about a pastor, eh, I'm not talking about me, or a leader or brother or sister in Christ, or family member, or the boss, or whoever. And they use that to try to leverage, to get in with people. Have the discernment and the understanding to know that those are the types of people that are going to cause you great problems down the road. And this is what Absalom was doing. He goes, you've really got a strong case here. Too bad the king can't listen, doesn't have anybody. And then he goes, I wish I were the judge. You know what, if he wanted to be the judge, you know what he could have done? He could have gone to his father and said, hey, hey, dad, I noticed you have a lack of judges here. So, you know, if you need some help, I'm willing. But that's not what he's doing. He goes to the gate telling the people, oh, the king has no judges, but I can do it. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would give them justice. I'm like, yeah, right. Absalom, the guy that killed Amnon, he's the guy to talk about justice, right? The guy that got revenge, yeah, you're the perfect judge. You'll be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, right. When people tried, well, watch what he does here. When people tried to bow before him, verse 5, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Can you see his false humility here? Listen, there are people that will come up to you and they will like act like they're the most humble people on the planet, yet they are nothing like that. And this was Absalom. And he's like trying to get them by false humility. Well, how do you know that it was false humility? The next verse. 
Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment. And so, everybody read it with me. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. This was his goal. His goal was not humility. He leveraged his looks and his words to be able to twist things and to manipulate people to come alongside of him. So what happened? While he was there, he went to another place, and it says while he was there, he sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, as message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. He took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, but they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, another thing he shouldn't have been doing, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo, or Gilo. Soon many others also joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. Now he is trying to take over the kingdom. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. And let me stop here and tell you that even though David messed up, and he did, David had a good heart. He wasn't seeking to do something wrong or bad or evil. He wanted to protect his kids. He shouldn't have. But that wasn't out of an evil desire. And when Absalom finally comes to this point and is looking to take over the kingdom, you're going to see David's heart right here. Because David was called by God. And David understood two things. Number one, that if God has called you, God will deal with you. And what I mean by that is to say that if anybody ever steps up to try to take something that God has given to you, you don't need to fight a human fight. Trust the Lord. Because if God gave it to you, no man can simply just take it from you. Can't. And so because of this, it says this in verse 14. He says, then we must flee at once. He's going, I'm not, fine, we'll, we'll go. Let him come. We'll go. Or it will be too late, David urges his men. Hurry. If we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, and now you're going to see the second thing that David believes. Watch this. Both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from what? Disaster. Well, here we see David's heart so clearly. He's going, listen, I could fight. David was a warrior. This guy knew how to fight. He's not some wimpy guy that's just like, I'm running scared for my life. David knows the city. He's got a group of warriors with him that know how to fight and will defend him to the death. He's not worried about fighting. He knows how to do it. But what he is worried about is the people in the city. He doesn't want them hurt. This is why he runs. He runs so others don't get hurt in the process. He wants to essentially limit collateral damage due to what he knows is about to go down. And so he runs away. And if you read chapters 16 and 17, which I'm not going to read here today, 
you can really get into David's mind and what he did. He was really wise. He made some really important moves, but at the same time, he trusted the Lord. He did what he needed to do to figure out what was going on. He had some spies working on his behalf, but David still trusted the Lord. And so he leaves. And finally, Absalom gets an army together, the army of Israel. And he comes and he fights against King David's men. Although David doesn't fight, his men told him, no, you're not going to fight. you got to stay back. We'll fight on behalf of you. And it says this, so the battle began in the forest of Ephraim. And the Israelite troops were, what does it say right there? Beaten, beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. I don't know how that happened. Were there like jaguars or bears or whatever in the forest? Or did they just like run into sticks and kill themselves? Like, like I stabbed myself earlier this week? I don't know. But anyways, the forest killed more people than the swords did. Now... Now watch verse 9. Remember the title of the preaching is a hairy situation. Remember that Absalom's claim to fame was his good looks and his long hair. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule. Not on a horse, right? On his mule. But as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his what? Hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. I love this. <laughs> it tells us something about Absalom. It tells us something about us. That the source of your greatest pride will become the source of your greatest downfall. If you don't understand that what we have comes from the Lord. If you have good looks, if you have talent, if you have abilities, if you have success, if you're good at business, if you're good at speaking, if you're whatever it is that you have, whether it's a larger amount or small amount, it all comes from the Lord. And it's all for the Lord. But see, he wanted to use it for his own glory to make his own kingdom, to build his own life for what he desired. And when he did that, all those abilities and things that he had came to haunt him at the end because they weren't given over for God's glory. So he was left dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and, uh, and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What, Joab demanded? You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a hero's belt. So Joab goes and takes care of Absalom himself, kills him along with some other soldiers, and Absalom is dead. And then David, of course, cries for a while because he's now lost a second son. There's a whole lot of messed up stuff that happened in this story. And I've just kind of gone through it and shared a few random thoughts and um, I hope some of those might have helped you and encouraged you as you, or challenged you as you walk with Christ.
But I want to end with one simple thing, and then we're going to pray. At the end of this story in chapter 19, because Absalom is now dead, the army gets dispersed, people go to their homes, and David returns home as king. David messed up. He created this hairy situation, and Absalom did because he had the hair. But David messed up, we could put it this way, with good intentions. Does that make sense to everybody? He screwed up. Yes, he did. But David's heart was still a heart that loved the Lord, a heart that sought the Lord, that wanted to do what was right. We saw that when he fleed from the city. And what I want you to know is that you're going to screw up, and I'm going to screw up, and we're all going to mess up in this life. It's just natural. It's going to happen. Raise your hand if you have messed up too many times to count. Anybody? Yeah, there you go. But let me tell you this. If you would continue to seek the Lord, if you will continue to follow him, there is not a call that God has on your life that he can't bring you back into in your life. If you have been separated from something that you believe God has for you because you've gone through a difficult season, let me tell you something. God has not forgotten about you. And God brought David back all by the power of God. He said, uh, if God gives David the call, then God will keep him in the call. And if God has given you something, as you follow Jesus, as you trust Jesus, God will keep you exactly where he wants you to be. How many want to trust Jesus today in that type of way? Amen. Let's choose to trust him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are and how good you are to us. And Lord, there's a lot that we can learn from this story, from Amnon, from Absalom, from David as well. But Lord Jesus, what I know most of all is that you have a call on us to be obedient to you, to follow you, to know you, to receive you in our lives. And so Jesus, today we want more and more of you. We want more of you, Lord Jesus. And with all eyes closed just for a moment, I want to ask a simple question today. Are you here and you recognize your need for Jesus? Your need to say yes to Jesus, maybe for the first time. Or you know Jesus, but you've been kind of like a prodigal son or daughter, disconnected from God, and you realize your need to come back to him today and say, yes, Jesus, I know you. I want to return to you. If that's you today, would you just raise up a quick hand? I just want to bless you and pray for you. If that's a decision you are making today, I see all of these hands that are being raised from younger to older all around the room and I bless you. I bless you today with the new life of Jesus. I bless you with the goodness of God. I bless you today so that way you might enter into the fullness of the work of God in your life that you would live a life of obedience to God and that you would live a life receiving the fullness of God's spirit inside of you. In Jesus name I pray. Amen and amen. Who believes it? Who believes it? That God has worked in people's hearts today.